The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the run at 4,400. Stocks trying to extend their longest winning streak in two years. We do have some interesting moves today as well from the investment committee, and we'll get to all of them. Joining me for the hour today, Stephanie Link, Joe Terranova, Jim Labenthal. Everybody is at the desk today. We're at session lows, uh, and we've been on this incredible run, right? NASDAQ's trying for nine in a row. The Dow and S&P are trying for eight in a row. You got yield stuff mostly lower. So tech has been on a tear. And then I look today and I see you bought more Alphabet and Meta. I said we had interesting moves. Let's start there. Wow. Okay. Well, yeah, first and foremost, I think that rates have peaked. And the numbers last week uh, really prove that. Unit labor costs down, lowest level since the end of 22, productivity highest in three years. If I think that rates have peaked and we are going to see a slowdown in the economy and inflation has peaked, I think you want to own more growth. I think you want to own more technology. This is really a trade, though, Scott, into the end of the year. We're going to have to reassess 2024 as we get the data. But I think you are going to have people chase. You've been talking about this for the last six months. And I would say, yeah, I'm chasing. But I actually started buying uh, Alphabet when it fell 10 percent on the, on the news, on the earnings report, and which I thought was actually very good. They grew earnings at 46 percent year over year and revenues at, uh, up 11 percent year over year. And 80 percent of their business advertising grew 9.4 percent and accelerated for the third straight quarter. I know we got all upset about cloud, but I'm not going to get upset with 23% year-over-year growth in cloud for them. Mm-hmm. wasn't as great as some of their peers. Fine, I'll take it. And that's why the stock was weak. But I like the risk-reward. So the fundamentals, to me, were quite strong. Meta, we've talked about ad nauseum. I have owned it. I was trimming it because it had such a nice run. But, I mean, in retrospect, I really regret doing that because the fundamentals, too, are so strong, right? They just put up a double-digit total revenue growth of 23%, and they've got a great product cycle story and the best operating margins in two years. So I feel comfortable buying these companies because the fundamentals are strong. We're going to talk about another one where the fundamentals weren't so strong that I've been adding to as well in in cybersecurity. But I feel really good about continuing to build up these positions, again, because more macro plus the micro, I like the combination. Joe, you want to be in tech, you want to be in growth. Those words today, mark them down in stone from Stephanie Link, because when she says that, you better stand up and listen. At least till the end of the year, Scott. We that's can reassess fine. next year. And and that's that's perfectly fine because I think many want to know what the next six weeks are going to hold for the major averages. Month to date, 
Why does Steph say be in tech, buy growth? Apple's up 6% month to date. Microsoft all-time high. Alphabet, now the stocks are pulling back a little bit today. It's a bit of a mixed picture throughout the NASDAQ as it goes for its streak. Again, month to date, Alphabet, Steph's Alphabet up 6%. Amazon up 7%. NVIDIA's back up 13%. Meta's up 6 Tesla is up 11 Dan Ives says fundamentals are holding up like a rock of Gibraltar. Tom Lee, <coughs> excuse me, stocks can drift higher by the cues. The concentrated performance year to date from mega cap will go parabolic by the end of the year. And if you think about the reasoning why, as a portfolio manager, strategically, you review your options and you say to yourself, tax loss harvesting occurs where? Everywhere except the mega caps. Buybacks over the next several weeks. Where, where, where will buyback intentions be the strongest? in the mega caps? Where is there the lack of sensitivity to the cost of capital in the mega caps? So collectively as a portfolio manager, you say to yourself as you move toward the end of the year, if I have not be been there, I need to be there to try and catch up performance as much as I possibly can. And please, that's not what I'm suggesting that you're doing because you've been there and you've been there for Meta very early. But for the rest, the majority of the portfolio management community, they need to be there. And these are the stocks that are going to give them the most significant weighting to try and recapture performance. Now, Jimmy, I mentioned Tom Lee's note where he says stocks can drift higher by the cues. Maybe the most controversial part of, of his commentary today is that because he says cyclicals remain the most levered to easing financial conditions, rates coming down, mm. by industrials, by discretionary, mm -hmm. uh, XLI, XLY. Mm. I posed the question yesterday and I'll pose it again. And I think Steph's commentary today and her additions to her portfolio are so telling. Why make it so difficult over the next six weeks? What are you going to do? You're going to buy a name like Caterpillar, for example, or are you going to buy a name like Alphabet? You're going to add to names like Meta or Nvidia, or are you going to buy a Deer or a Boeing? Yeah. You know the point I'm making. I not do. so specific to your own portfolio, but it's the broader point. And it's and it's a totally valid question, and it was in part answered by Steph and Joe. But I think there was something in your question, the way you phrased it, that I keyed in on even before you asked it. Though, is for the next six weeks. So, Joe, what you at just at least at least because um, because okay, you know, but here's the where economy, we're going to differ. Well. Just because the calendar is going to turn to 24 doesn't right. mean all of a sudden the economy just decides, well, it's great again. It's, it's in this slowing mode. So for the foreseeable future, which includes the next six weeks, why not? <laughs> okay, but here's where you and I are going to differ, and this is fine. This is what makes a market. I do think it's about the next six weeks. I think Joe kind of nailed it. It's about performance chasing again. No, also, I'll, and I'll also add it. You know, this isn't about what Stephanie's moves are. That's not what we're saying there. But if you look at where this economy is, it is slowing, of course, from that 4.9% third quarter GDP. That was unsustainable. It was ridiculously high. It is, however, still quite strong by any measure. I mean, last, last we looked at the Atlanta Fed GDP yesterday, I think it was 2.3%, the estimate for this quarter, which is good which is good. And if the Fed is done, I know that's a big if, but we'll get some confirmation or, or non-confirmation from it next week when we get CPI. If the Fed is done, that gives room for this economy to start to grow again in those cyclical sectors, in those sectors that you just mentioned, the industrials, the deers, the Boeings, the caterpillars of the world. Now, let me be clear. I'm agreeing with Joe. For the next six weeks, I think it's going to be just, you know, chase the things that have worked. But I want to point out one stat, courtesy of Strategas today. And it's just a 
fact, okay? If you take Ma Apple and Microsoft, put them together, they're 14.6% of the S&P 500. On an absolute basis, that's it's extraordinarily high. If you look at any chart of the top two as a concentration, it's off the charts historically. At some point, that's going to come down. And I submit to you, Scott, my answer to you is fundamentally, based on the economy, based on share prices, when the calendar turns, that's when those cyclicals should start to recover and should start to do well. But for the next six weeks, it is likely to be a performance chase for those concentrated names. Now, I will say this. Today, we opened up the S&P and the NASDAQ. Both S&P and NASDAQ futures were above yesterday's high. So we were potentially breaking out of the consolidation range that we've had here over the last several days. What pulled us down? The Russell. The Russell is yeah. what pulled the entire market down. And I think Again, you can, down, and you, down I, think, I think we now. could say to ourselves, okay, for this, the next six weeks, mega caps and the strength from mega, mega caps is the place that you want to be, and that's enough to support the market. I extended but it. I, do the, think, I extended it. Okay, now if we extend it beyond the next six weeks, I do think we have an issue. I think we've got concern because there has to be a point where the Russell stabilizes and we see some dispersion and begins to contribute to the performance. We thought we had that last week, and it has failed this well, week. Why wouldn't you say it's an opportunity, though? I mean, the economy is growing faster than expected. Atlanta Fed GDP now, you said it's 2-1 from 1-2 in a week's time. So the economy is going to stay strong. Earnings have been really very good. No one really wants to give any credit to these companies that They've are putting right. up some really good numbers. And it's not just tech, They've Scott. been all right, though. I mean, the revisions tech. have been, you know. Scott, it is what it is better well. than expected. People thought it was going to be down 4 5 it's up about 2-3%. It's not home run, but it's better than expected. And by the way, I would submit to you that, that a lot of companies beyond tech have put up even higher growth than 2 or 3%. And I think, to your point about, is it easy just to own technology? It is for the next six weeks, but I do still think there are pockets within industrials. I mean, did you see Parker Hannafin? Did you see Ingersoll Rand? Even Caterpillar bounced back after they it saw a decline. There are opportunities. I think the consumer, we're going to talk about that in the next block, I think the consumer has been resilient, and they're benefiting from lower gas prices. So I think there are pockets and places of where you can invest. But why wouldn't you say that the pullback in the Russell and the overall market isn't an opportunity? Because I actually think because I it believe, absolutely is. Sorry. Um, I believe that the Russell will only find its bottom and begin to rally when not pulling forward the first rate cut from July to June, but when the market expects at 75 80% that that rate cut is coming in Q2 of 2024, because we, right, you want to be we disagree. That, Let me you, finish. You, you want to be ahead of that, though, Joe. You know that. We have a different strategy. We have a different way of looking at markets, Steph. I believe in breakouts. I believe in yeah. momentum. You're looking to trying to identify value. So I'm looking at the Russell. I see the Russell as a falling knife. I see what you see in the long term. I don't think the Russell is going to continue the downtrend that it's in currently because I think at some point the Federal Reserve has to react to the economic weakness that's building. And I think in 2024, we're talking about rate cuts. And once we have that strong degree of confidence that the rate cuts are coming, then, yes, I want to buy the and Russell. That's why I point you to the unit labor costs and the productivity numbers, because those were really positive, positive surprises for the inflation why, picture. Why would you want to buy the Russell, though, if, if we're arguably at the beginning stages, the, the earlier innings, if you will, of the slowdown in the economy. Why saying, would you want to do it now? I'm not saying to buy the Russell. I'm saying to buy other stocks that fall if the Russell is the reason that we're selling off. 
and, and if the companies that just reported earnings sell off, well, that's an opportunity. So I think it's really all about stock picking, Scott. And we can talk it, about it, all Scott. the names that I've been adding to since the earnings season because I feel a lot, I have a lot more conviction in the fundamental story and what the companies have said. Sure, but look at where the action is. Uh, ServiceNow, for example, is on, on, on pace, Joe, for its 10th straight positive session. Adobe, its eighth straight. You see what Datadog did, did yesterday. I mean, that's where the action is. That's where the action continues to be. A lot of it. I'm sorry. I, don't, may don't. I? Um, th factually true. If we go back three trading days, just three trading days, we would have said the exact opposite. We would have said small caps. We would have well, said no, we wouldn't have. No, we wouldn't have. We wouldn't have. We would have. We would have. We would have noted the fact that the small caps had an incredible week as the market bounced. But we may have, in the same light, said. Is that sustainable in the kind of economic environment that we think we might be heading towards? And I bet many would have said not necessarily. And what's happened is it's now given back almost 3% of what it's gotten in the, in the last week. Your, your point is well made, and it allows me to highlight where the difference in my outlook is, maybe to yours, maybe to yours, Joe. It's, you're talking about a slowdown. These stocks are priced for a recession. OK, and I'm agreeing that the economy is going to slow down from the third quarter because that was ridiculously high. But as Steph just said, the consumer is strong. The consumer has remained strong as inflation continues to come down. And as it looks like the Fed is taking its foot off the brake, at least taking the foot off the brake, maybe not adding to the gas pedal. Um, but that's a condition in which these stocks, small caps, uh, value stocks are priced for recession right now. And again, to Steph's point, a lot of them are showing good earnings growth. They're just not getting the respect. But, I mean, now, at, some time, on, at, that, at some point, stocks are rightly priced. Uh, so, I mean, not, okay, but not right now, not in the cyclicals and not in the small caps, unless, here's the unless, unless you really believe that there is a recession coming. Had a great debate with Steve yesterday, right? He is firmly in the camp that we're going to have a recession. I, Stephanie, others have said, we don't think there's well, a recession coming. Why aren't you coming. buying small cap stocks then today? Well, first off, I mean, you know my positioning. I'm pretty fully invested and I'm underweight technology but you're already. Underweights, you're underweights, you don't have, what small cap stocks you like that you have. I, I think you don't it, have I, many. That's right. But I think in this conversation, Scott, that we can equally say, or at least I'm trying to equally say that whether it's cyclicals or small caps, they are priced for a recession that if, like me, you don't think a recession's coming and you see this earning growth in both sectors, then you're very comfortable hanging on to those cyclicals as I would be if I were in the small cap. What's energy, Joe, priced at? <laughs> priced towards? <laughs> we got oil at 75 bucks, or 70, at least it hit below 76. 75.54 right now as we speak. Down once again, now well below its 200-day moving average, and doing what I expected it to do, which is to shake out the significant long positioning, in particular in the futures market. Um, hey, so hey, hold your thought. I, I hate to cut you off, but I have breaking news uh, regarding Eli Lilly. Our uh, health and pharma reporter, Angelica Peebles, joins us now with what we're learning here. Angelica? Yes, Scott. FDA is approving Eli Lilly's drug, Terzepatide, for obesity. Now remember that drug is already approved under the name Manjaro for diabetes. And now today FDA is saying that drug can be approved can be used for obesity and it'll be sold under the brand name Zepbound. And remember like Novo Nordisk's drug Wigovi, this drug is called a GLP-1 and this is a little bit different and then it targets both GLP-1 and also GIP. And um Analysts see a huge opportunity here for this drug and Novo, Novo Nordisk's Wegovi, and they're not really seeing a winner-take-all market here. There's just so much demand for these drugs. Lilly has said that they are ready 
They are trying to increase capacity as fast as they can. Last week, telling analysts that they were on track to double manufacturing capacity by the end of this year. Back to you, Scott. All right, Angelica, appreciate that very much. Uh, as we see those shares modestly rising, Joe, you own the stock. I do. This must have been expected to some degree if the stock's yeah, only it, up 1%. It, it, it is. Stock's right now uh, 608.5, approaching the 630 all-time high, uh, and I expect it to get, to get there. That's one of the reasons why... Uh, at the end of October, we went back into this stock. We had been in it. You know that we sold out of it. Is this, so this the one? Is, positive. You said, is this the one you said on Friday or whenever it was the other day with with Weiss? The chart looks great. Stock's going above 600, and he tried to suggest that the stock didn't look good. And yes, I hope you're watching and, lo- and or listening, Weiss. <laughs> uh, I don't want to do that to Steve. But, I do. Uh, so go ahead. I do too. But, but th- this stock is going to continue to move higher. Overruled. It's almost, it's almost trading as if. It's almost trading as if. Uh, it's a biotech stock. It's almost trading in that regard. But listen, it's got significant fundamental momentum behind it. And I think it's going to continue in the interim. Okay, so let's go back to energy. As we get that news, we watch the stock up uh, just shy of one and a half percent. We'll keep watching it uh, for the remainder of our program at at minimum. Um, So you've been trimming, Steph, Chevron. Yeah. Kind of had it after earnings. What's the story? I just thought it was really crummy earnings. I really did. I mean, earnings missed, but free cash flow missed. Um, they're having all kinds of delays. They're just not executing like I had expected. I mean, we all expected downstream numbers to be weak, and they were, but they were actually even worse than expected. So just a lot of problems, and I think the M&A is distracting them, quite frankly. They've made three big deals in the last year, and I think that over the long term, it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be great. They're eventually going to be synergistic. However, I think it's really detracting from the shareholder value creation story, buybacks, dividends, and that's what I want to see. And I don't want them to have to tap into their cash to do it. Uh, so that's why I've trimmed it. I still own a small piece because it is so cheap. Mm-hmm. And I do think eventually they will get their act together. But I prefer SLB, which beat. They raised. Margins are going higher. The stock trades at 14 times. It's the number one in the industry. And Diamondback Energy, I mean, that quarter was a thing of beauty in terms of across the board, in terms of beating, mm-hmm. raising guidance, free cash flow. They're doing all the right things. So I put more money into both of those. Okay, good stuff. Joe, you're the one I cut off uh, to go to that Lilly news. Please con- continue your thoughts on where you think oil's going from here and what you think it means for energy stocks. I think continue it's a, to pull I think back it's too. A, Obviously, it's not good. It's a reduction in positioning in the futures market, clearly. Um, Trying to uncover the fundamental reasoning behind why oil is declining, I think it's beginning to sniff out economic weakness, both domestically and globally. And I believe other commodities have already signaled this uh, in earlier months. Well, you said this is the make it or break it quarter. I did say that. In fact, I, I, I still believe that it is. Um, I, I know you're looking at me because you realize that I am overweight energy, but there's nothing I can do about that I'm not, until the end of January. I know what this is. I know you own 16 <laughs> positions in it. I'm not necessarily looking at you mm-hmm. because you're overweight energy. I, I'm looking at you for somebody who has suggested this is make it or break it if you're now worrying that it's going to break it. Well, I, and what's interesting is I'm pretty confident, I've been pretty confident over the last several days about what's going on in energy. I said the other day I'm highly skeptical that given where price currently was, that everyone who was overweight the sector would be rewarded. And I, and I said the other day, I wouldn't be surprised if we have to work off that overweight positioning. And that, in fact, that's what we're doing. I mean, just think about this. The end of September, the price, spot price of crude oil was $95, okay? You had the horrific terrorist attacks Hamas on Israel several weeks later. 
everyone said, here comes oil at $100, and we're now pointed the other way, down at 75 So I think you have Those to... Those regions aren't heavy in terms of oil production. No, but, but it's, it was, it was but it's a geo, it's a geopolitical Iran, show. Right. I understand what could why, Iran potentially do? I understand that, but you're not buying oil because you think of, this, of the Middle East problems that are going on right now. I mean, if, it, if you have kind of like contamination throughout the whole the whole area, well, that's one thing. But I don't know. I never really bought into it. That's what the reason Let, let me just f finish this final thought. So I think what this is, is this is positioning more than anything else. And if it is positioning more than anything else, that sets up for a potential trough at some point in the near term. If, if I may make one point, good, good yes, analysis. You, yes, you Thank may. You. Look, you know what we haven't talked about in several weeks? The Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which always catches Thankfully. in my mouth. Well, no, not thankfully. I mean, we as a nation have done something stupid. I mean, we've done something unstrategic. We've drawn this thing down, and it's really, really too low. We need to refill it. Now, look, they were supposed to do it over the summer when oil was below $70 a barrel, but they didn't. I think that was because the debt ceiling uh, negotiations were going on and prevented them. $75 a barrel, Joe, they should, be, they should be buying barrels of oil hand over fist right now to refill the SPR. And I don't know why they're not. But any thinking person is going to say, refill it now. Probably don't have the money to do it because it was in the 60s. They didn't buy it when they told the Saudi Arabia that they would. You happy with your ExxonMobil, Jim? As, as uh, Steph I, is annoyed with her Chevron? Um, yeah, I, I mean, you know what? For quite some time, you've heard me say, and others have heard me say, that they're kind of twins. Well, guess what? And Steffi pointed this out, that if you look at the last earnings report, they did not, they're no longer twins. That's for All sure. right, Chevron's yeah. got, a, got an issue there. The Kazakhstan uh, overruns, the delays there, the cost overruns. Exxon looks a heck of a lot better. And so I'm happy I'm in Exxon. Uh, and for the reasons that we've all been talking about, I still am bullish on oil. But then again, I have to say it again, I'm not in the recession camp. So you're looking at demand and you're saying it's going to continue to increase from here and there's a supply demand imbalance that's going to benefit Exxon. They could be fraternal twins. One chart, they could, they could one be, chart looks they different could. from the other. You thought they were identical twins and I maybe they're not. I don't want to say something and then people are going to be emailing me, years, you're insensitive, you're a jerk. Yes, they could be fraternal twins. But for, for years, Chevron outperformed Exxon for years. I mean, you have to admit that. This has actually been a reversal, which has really been a surprise and disappointment. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. you got a lot of moves. So we're going to go through uh, more of Steph's moves when we come back. Just added to this consumer name. It's up 8% in a month. We have those details just ahead. And later, we'll get you set up for Disney earnings after the bell. We've got some media stocks are on the move big time today. We'll see if that's a read through to what Disney may deliver later. Find out how the committee's positioning. See you in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC.
right, we're back. Another move. Stephanie Link, you bought more McDonald's. Bought more McDonald's. Tell me why. I bought more McDonald's because I thought that the quarter was really very good and the fundamentals remain very strong. They beat on earnings. They beat on total revenues. I mean, earnings grew 18 percent and revenues grew 13 percent year over year. Comps were up 8.8 percent, Scott, against a nine and a half comp last year. So they're comping really well on top of really tough comparisons. And that's because of digital and drive through uh, and delivery all taking shape. It's the technology effort that they have been putting money into this company and it's starting to pay off. So it's only up 1% year to date. I kind of view it also as like a staple stock. It's kind of a defensive name. I also think you're going to see uh, trade down as well uh, from the uh, from the consumer. And so I think that should benefit them as well. Okay. Now, how about this call, folks? Piper Sandler today, Jimmy, says buy retail, right? They say the XRT has reversed a three-month downtrend, add to positions on a topside breakout, discretionary above its 50-day moving average for the first time since September. A whole bunch of retailers report next week. Depot, Target, Advanced Auto Parts, TGX, Walmart, Macy's, Bath Body Works, Gap, Ross, Stores, BJ's. Gutsy call, and I'm not just saying that because I agree with it. We're going to do another call later that I also think is gutsy that I disagree with. But I agree with this, all right? And Steph and I have talked earlier about the strength of the consumer, where jobless claims are. Next week, we're going to get another look at retail sales, this time for October, after all the student loan payments have have gone on. So next week is pretty important, both on the macro and specific to the company. Look, the consumer is employed. The consumer is employed, and inflation is coming down. Now, consumer sentiment stinks. It is really lousy. And it's really lousy because all of the news that's out there. But bottom line is the consumer has disposable income with inflation coming down. They are spending it. And philosophically, I don't care whether it's the right thing to do or not. That's what Americans do. They consume. All right, Steph, you own Target. Price Target cut today to 174 from 184. And that is at UBS, which they still reiterate the buy. And this has been a miserable stock, but I think the valuation discounts a lot of bad news at 14 times forward estimates. The historical average is at 17 times. Of course, if that's if you believe in the estimates, but I'll look at enterprise value. It's actually below pre-pandemic levels. That's crazy to me for a company of this quality, this size, the market share that they're taking across the board. The key to this report will be margins. Can they be profitable in a challenging top-line environment? Comps are going to be down negative five, negative six. But can they see another quarter, would be the third quarter in a row, of operating margin expansion. That would give me confidence that their turnaround is, is actually working, and that has to do with inventories. Joe, do we agree with this call by Piper Sandler today to buy retail stocks? RSI climbed bullish. We said back above the 50-day. You have a number of stocks next week. You own Costco, Darden, Lulu, Ross, TJX. And Burlington as well. And Burlington, Ross, and TJX are in the bottom quartile when I look at the 16 consumer discretionary names that uh, we own the ETF, and when I look at the performance, the strength is coming in the names that we own from e-commerce. Mercado Libre is the best performer that we have in consumer discretionary. It's coming through uh, travel, uh, Expedia, Airbnb, Marriott, Booking Holdings. So it's not really coming from these names. Um, I, I respect and understand Stephanie's view on Target. What I'm trying to dis, uh, disseminate is why there's such weakness in Target when there's such strength in Walmart. I think that's, uh, the, that's a fundamental peculiarity that I think has to be uncovered before I could say, okay, it's go mixed. in and buy Target. It's mixed. They have more consumables than Target. Tar Target is more discretionary, and that's, that's been known for a long time. That's been where you want to be, so you've been right. I've been wrong. I think eventually they're going to change their mix to a little bit more of a balance. 
between consumables and discretionary. And oh, by the way, I think they're doing a phenomenal job in discretionary because they have all that private label that's really doing remarkably well. When you well. say consumables, you're talking about groceries? Yeah. Exactly right. Uh, it, it's like 70% at Walmart, 75% at Walmart. It's only about 40 to 45% at Target. And so you're seeing definitely people flocking to on the consumable side to, to Walmart, which is why Costco is also doing quite well. Joe, you sound reasonably negative about the consumer or discretionary stocks, but yet you're overweight that in the ETF. And momentum, which makes a difference for you, obviously, the XRT is down 8% in three months. So it it, it had a downdraft over a period of time where you could have rebalanced out of some of these names. You did not. Why? Well, that's not true. We, we sold out of six names. So Retail ones? We pulled out. Uh, we got out of Ch- uh, Chewy. We got out of Nike. We got out of Ulta Beauty. Uh, we were seller, uh, sellers of those names. We were out of Yum China well, why as well. Are you still over- I, I should have phrased the question better, and I apologize. <laughs> why are you still overweight? Retail? So, <clears throat> excuse me, we are overweight travel. We're overweight e-commerce. We're overweight home builders, uh, DR Horton, Lennar, and we are overweight apparel, specialty apparel in the form of Lulu, and we also have quick serve through Chipotle. So we only have three names that are pure retail, and as I said with my initial comments, they are at the bottom quartile of performance. Okay. Well... This is a perfect segue to go to our retail reporter who's got our news update, Courtney Reagan. Thank you very much. Fascinating discussion there, Scott, for certain. Well, the Israeli Defense Force reopened a humanitarian corridor for four hours this morning, allowing passage to southern Gaza. An IDF spokesperson called the northern Gaza a, quote, fierce combat zone and said time was running out. The Rafah border crossing is also open again today. Documents obtained by NBC show more than 700 people are eligible to cross, including around 100 Americans. The EU Commission recommended today that Ukraine be invited to start membership talks as soon as some final conditions are met, regardless of the continuing war with Russia. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky called the report, quote, a historic step. EU leaders formally accepted Ukraine as a candidate to join the Union last year. An explosion at a Texas chemical plant sparked a large fire, sending plumes of black smoke into the sky. A nearby private school was evacuated, and officials issued a five-mile shelter-in-place warning. Officials said the impacted building was a petroleum processing plant. Scott, back over to you. All right, Court, appreciate that. Courtney Reagan. Up next, our chart of the day. Shares of a media stock are sliding hard today after a wider-than-expected loss. Now, one of Jim's stocks is down, too, in that space. We can talk about that. Another one of Jim's stocks reports earnings in overtime tonight. We've got to talk about that, too. Do it next. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is LinkedIn.com slash Halftime Report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to LinkedIn.com slash Halftime Report and get started. 
Our chart of the day is WBD. That's Warner Brothers Discovery down 17%. The loss was worse than expected. Uh, sluggish ad market. The CEO, uh, David Zaslav, media industry going through what he calls a generational disruption, quote unquote. Um, Paramount, show that one because Paramount's been down now for a couple days after a huge gain after its own earnings last week. So, Jimmy, the stock's down another 8% today. There was a negative note from, I can't remember who it was on the, on the street. Bank of America. Bank of America, thank you, yesterday. Uh, oh, Je- Jessica Reef Ehrlich, maybe yeah. it was, mm-hmm. um, who talked about passing up on strategics. And that was one of the reasons why the stock sold off hard yesterday, I think it was. And now it's followed through today, maybe in part on that and also WBD. Well, today is definitely Warner Brothers. I mean, and because yesterday's news is yesterday news. But I think what's being missed here is that there's something going on at Warner Brothers that doesn't seem to be being replicated at Paramount. If I just go back to the earnings, and we didn't have a chance to do this last week, Scott, but the earnings at Paramount, uh, which came out Thursday night, were fabulous. I mean, free cash flow much higher than expectations, uh, announcing that they They've reached peak losses and are behind, you know, are now peak losses for uh, streaming are behind them. Uh, what you're seeing at Paramount is free cash flow estimates going up, up, up. Uh, Ms. Reef's uh, uh, issues with regards to asset sales, I mean, she's welcome to have them. But I think at this point, you've got a pretty good collection at Paramount in terms of the linear media, which actually is going to do well next year with Super Bowl advertising and political advertising at a time that streaming is now on a much more accelerated track towards uh, profitability. But Warner Brothers, I, they lost subscribers. Everybody else seems to be adding subscribers, see, there, including Paramount. There was, I, I know that we've had these conversations, and I know that you've said in the past that one of the principal reasons for continuing to own Paramount was for a strategic option, for the yes. likelihood of a deal, correct? Yes. Yes. So if the analyst, very well-respected analyst, says Agreed. that they've missed the window for some great opportunities to do the very strategic deals that you are holding the stock for, why do you continue to hold a stock that's barely above 10 bucks? Very solid answers for this. The strategic deals to which he was referring is to sell off some assets, like BET and perhaps Showtime, which are worth more to Paramount in the conglomerate that it is right now. I still commit to you, Scott, that the company should be sold. But after after Thursday's earnings, it's worth a heck of a lot more, not less, a lot more because the free cash flow is positive now and is going up. I just want to point out one other thing. Uh, they are selling assets, okay? They sold Simon & Schuster, the book publishing arm, obviously not core to streaming media. Uh, they sold that. And they're using the proceeds to immediately tender, as they already have, for debt outstanding, which will mean that they have no debt maturing until 2027. So all the worries about, oh, my God, how are they going to refinance higher interest rates, all that stuff, forget it. It's 2027 that they next have to refinance. I'm also thinking about what kind of premium that they would even get if, let's just say, someone wanted to buy the whole company. What kind of premium are you going to get for, you know, with such a dramatically declining stock price and what is perceived to be in many corners a declining asset? Uh, Okay, so good point. First, good point. Uh, The stock is higher now than it was before earnings, thank goodness. Okay, but to the analyst Ms. Reef's point regarding asset sales, Showtime being combined with Paramount Plus 
is key to why they were able to increase pricing to subscribers during the quarter and still have basically no effect on churn. It's that combination of Paramount Plus with Showtime. If you sell off piecemeal assets like Showtime, you're not going to get that sort of synergy. So I said earlier that there is a call coming up that is by an analyst that I disagree with, but it's still gutsy. A lot of respect for her. A lot of respect for her. I just simply disagree, and I hope I've laid out the reasons why. There's a herd mentality surrounding Warren Buffett. Let me ask you, he's is it 15% the stake that they have in it's Paramount? It's something large. Okay, it's a large stake. So how, how much of a premium is built up <laughs> it, within that herd mentality yeah. where people are just saying, okay, Warren Buffett's here at 15%, I'm going to be in the name. And then how much of a factor is it? Do you, do you ever give consideration to what if Warren Buffett says, okay, I've had enough, I'm stepping to the sidelines? I mean, great questions, Joe. And look, sometime in the next week, we're going to get that 13F filing. I would expect that the holding is down uh, at Berkshire if not eliminated altogether. That's something that I think is priced into the stock. I can't be the only person who's seeing that, right? Um, it's going to be what it's going to be. I see the asset values here. I see the free cash flow. It's worth a heck of a lot more than the $12 plus or minus. That you almost hope right that now. he's out. So, Steph, mm -hmm. let's look ahead then to overtime with, with Disney. We're going to hear from Bob Iger in an exclusive interview with Julia Borson after their earnings are released in overtime, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that Hugh Johnson's coming in to be CFO. Uh, you thinking about buying the stock again? I mean, that's a huge hire. He's been around for 34 years. What a success story at Pepsi. Um, and I actually think that maybe he's the next CEO. Maybe Bob Iger is bringing him in for the next couple of years or however long it's going to be. But this is a seasoned veteran who knows how to run a company and how to drive sales. And now I think Disney's much more complicated than something like a Pepsi. Uh, Pepsi wasn't broken. I mean, didn't they already learn their lesson by hiring somebody who, um, who wasn't exactly in line with the creative I think Chase Ethos. Pepe, Pepe wasn't. He trying to choose my words, words carefully. Who wasn't necessarily in line with the creative ethos that defines what Disney is, and that's one of the reasons why Bob Chapek did not succeed, and why he was no. arguably not the right person for that job in the first place. And now Iger's made it more of a priority to have a person in line who more fits the culture of what Disney is, not to take anything away from. Hugh Johnson, because he's a, a wonderfully nice man and he's had a great career in his own right. But you, you get what I'm saying. Look, I think that there is a good bench. Iger has put together a very solid bench. And so I think Hugh Johnson will, Johnston will get the, the financials organized. He will streamline where he needs to. They already announced a $5.5 billion cost-cutting program. And Johnson's probably going to add to that. There's no question in my mind. But it's going to take a little bit of time. Does he have the creative juices? I don't I don't really know. But I need an operator and someone that can execute. And Chapek could, could not do any of that. He couldn't be, he wasn't a creator and he wasn't an operator and he wasn't an executor. So I think I would give the benefit of the doubt to Johnson. Jimmy. Okay. So what if just for today, just for today, we don't focus on ESPN and Hulu? I mean, I've talked about that ad nauseum. What if for today we actually focused on the health of the streaming business when the results come out? Let's see. Did they add subscribers? Did they control costs? Are they on a more accelerated path towards profitability in the streaming business? As I just said, Paramount is. Let's see. 
All right, up next, we're tracking some trades. Bill Baruch, he just bought a big bank stock. He's going to join us straight ahead, tell us exactly what he has done. And tomorrow, do not miss CNBC's Your Money virtual event. You're going to hear from Jim Cramer and top financial experts on ways to maximize your finances. You can scan the QR code or visit cnbcevents.com slash your money. Halftime, right back. All right, Bill Baruch's been a pretty active trader, uh, part of our investment committee, of course. He joins us right now again uh, because he's bought J.P. Morgan. So you initiated a small position in JPM uh, yesterday, I'm told, correct? That's right. And, you know, at the end of the day, J.P. Morgan is the undisputed heavyweight champion in, in banking. Uh, we've owned Bank of America, but I've been hesitant to build into that position. It's been sitting in the cellar, bottom five of our, of our 30 stocks. But I like what we've seen in rates. I like some of the environment coming ahead. I mean, year two of a bull market, which we're heading into, is I, I think uh, financials and healthcare can, can outperform. So I want to get more banking in there. JP Morgan, I mean, they've guided strong on net interest income. Uh, and, and I just think that they're, they're going to be the leader. So Bank of America may have some catch up to play here. But in case it doesn't, I think JP Morgan needs to be in the portfolio. So adding the two together, they're in the middle of the pack, even though they both sit in the bottom. Yeah, I'm looking at financials. I mean, overall, you know, they just can't get much traction. This, you know, issue of where rates are and where projections are and where the economy might be going seems to just continue to hamper this group. You know, exo a good week here, a good week there. The the more medium-term picture looks dicey though, no? Absolutely. And my fear here is you look at Bank of America and you overlay that with the 10-year uh, Treasury. I mean, they're trading leg and leg. So I, you think if you're buying financials here, you have to think that we could be topping in yields. And I do. In the commodity fund that I, I run, I am long two-year futures. That's a Stanley Drunken Miller trade. I've been in that just before he was talking about it, too. So I, I'm positive here that I think we're turning in the rate environment, a big 10-year auction coming up to today. But it's not about right here, right now. I, I think as we head into next year, a lot of this is going to subside. Uh, again, at $131 billion uh, in, in uh, unrealized losses in Bank of America is an eyesore. So that's why I'm hesitant to add to that. But I want a little more financial exposure in adding J.P. Morgan. All right. Good stuff. And we appreciate you coming on and telling us about that. We'll see you back on the desk soon. Bill Baruch, Stephanie Link, mm. Bank of America, Morgan Stanley, Amex, which is your largest financials position. Yeah. But the banks. Yeah, I feel really, by the way, I feel really good about American Express. They've executed really well in the double digit loan growth and that sort of thing. So, mm -hmm. JP Morgan, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I mean, I don't own it. Uh, I can understand why it's attractive. It's down 8% from the highs and it trades at 1.4 times book. It almost gives you a, a like a 3% dividend yield. And I know they're the best in, in best in breed. I do think Bank of America is going to play catch up, especially if you do think, like Bill does, that, that rates have peaked. Wait, I think you that think will JP, be better. Well, you just said JP Morgan's the best in breed? It is the best in breed. Why don't you own it? It's too expensive. When I can get Bank of America at 0.8 times, when I can get Morgan Stanley at 13 times. By the way, Morgan Stanley is now yielding 4.5%. That's pretty competitive to the bond market at this point in time, but it hasn't done well. well I mean, the PE though. Let's show the PEs again on, on, on JPM. Me, I don't. I don't. Read, I use book value to be honest. That's how I value banks, and it's trading at 1.4 times. It usually for years and years and years, Scott, it traded at two times. So it has come down. But I'm looking at Bank of America at 0.8 times, and with a good dividend yield, with a diversified business mix, 
probably more sensitive to the rate market than JP Morgan in terms of net interest income, net interest margin. Um, I think also your, this whole cash sorting and this deposit uh, competition is probably going to wane a bit with rates coming down. And so I think Bank of America will play catch up. And I like Morgan Stanley because, again, I like the diversified mix and that yield is really pretty attractive. All right. Mike Santoli, he'll join us next with his midday word. We're back right after this. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. Welcome back. Senior Marcus commentator Mike Santoli joins us at the desk for his midday word. Another one of these kind of whatever days Russell's given back. Exactly. What do, you, what do you make of this? Doing just enough again for the S&P to kind of hang in there. Um, we haven't in this whole period since the rally started at the end of October. Uh, no day has seen an intraday low that was even as low as the prior day's low. So we're, we're continuing to sort of hold in there. Okay, but unstable underfoot. You guys are talking about the media stocks just getting taken apart. But also, if you look at things like the reaction to Robinhood and Datadog and that whole class of 2021, uh, th those companies that are still out there, or the EV space or solar, uh, it just shows you that things that are not kind of already presumed to be reliable and macro uh, kind of insulated are, you know, getting hit. So I, I think that I understand why people have low conviction. High beta stuff is not really ripping off the low. It's mm -hmm. kind of just doing okay. So, you know, it has plenty to prove, but I think at 42.75 on the S&P, if you pull back to that, still doesn't change much. That's about when we finished September. Uh, so just to sort of scale what remains a routine pullback or something more. At what point does falling oil become a problem where, yeah. you know, gas prices are down. That's obviously good. But you know where the narrative goes is falling oil for energy is down again as a sector 1% sure. today. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to hear people who thought that, you know, oil at 100 meant that the economy was ripping, you know, and now we're saying oil at 70 means that we're going into uh, a real tailspin. I do think it, it does create that perception and it creates that overlay of, look, we, we thought we bought ourselves some time on this expansion, uh, you know, in this uh, in this cycle. We don't have to worry about that yet. And it could bring it more to the fore. Cyclical stocks are not doing great, but, you know, they're hanging in there as well. I think I would say weekly claims start to matter in this environment because we saw unemployment rate go up to a level where you sort of have to ask if you should be worried about it yet. So it's not to me about oil means something in itself. It's if it joins a narrative that says the economy is sliding faster than we expected, then it becomes an issue. All right. I'll see you in a couple. Okay. Uh, Mike Santoy, we'll see him again, of course, on Closing Bell. Final trades are next. All right, 3 o'clock Eastern, closing bell. Ahead of Veterans Day, we have former New York Giants Super Bowl winner Phil McConkie. He founded Academy Securities. That's the first veteran-owned and operated investment bank. We cannot wait for that. Goldman's Jan Hatzius is with us as well, just put out his 2024 outlook. We will go through it. Final trade. Stephanie Link, you're first. 
Fortinet, very disappointing quarter. Guide was lower second quarter in a row. I think they kitchen synced it. I still like the total addressable market and the margin story long term. Weiss was listening in his car. He says it was, he says it wasn't Lily, even though we both know it was. You're wrong, Weiss. We're right. What's your final trade? Apollo Global Management. Thank you. Win Resorts. All right, great stuff. I'll see you on closing bell. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. People today can spend half their lives over 50, so it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.